Christmas, almost. It is Christmas in two days' time. I'm sure you are very excited, but also relieved. <laughs> Sometimes hosting families, getting presents, children not in school, all of that stuff makes us want Christmas to just like come and go as swiftly as possible. But anyway, I'm sure that you're very excited about it. Today, we begin our Christmas series. We finished the um, series on the book of Matthew last week, and we are starting a series called Warrior Child this week, and it's going to be over the next, I think, three or four Sundays looking at the birth of Jesus Christ and how he wasn't just born as a baby in a manger, but that this child given to us was a king who waged war on sin and death and brokenness and destruction, and he won the war. And we're going to look at the prophecy in Isaiah 9 that we sang this morning um, over the next few weeks about the, the fact that a child was given to us and of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Um, this morning, the sermon title is called Prince of Peace based on this prophecy. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, all of us do things to try and make sure we have peaceful lives. Like, we... And, and it really depends on what your definition of peace is that defines what you do to try and make sure that you're at peace, right? Where if you're like me, then you're a bit of a people pleaser. And so being at peace is about making sure everyone is happy, you don't disappoint anybody. Like if somebody's upset, you can't just leave them to be upset. Like you have to go and fix whatever it is that they're dealing with so that everybody's happy all the time. And that's what peace looks like to you. But you could be a person whose peace means that you never have to worry about anything. And so you've trained your children to never break anything in the house. You're the kind of person that is very careful about how you spend and how you save and what you do with your money so that you never are without, so that you never have to worry. And that's what peace means to you. Or you could be the kind of person whose peace is about how you feel about yourself the way that you think about yourself. And you try and do things to make sure that you always feel okay about yourself, whether that's physical things like gym or um, what you buy for, to wear, or whether that's the way that you think about yourself, your attitude. And that's kind of what you focus on so that you always feel at peace about who you are. But the problem with our forms of peace is that they always fall short, right? They never can really withstand the storms of life. They're, they're not versions of peace that last long enough for us to always be at peace. And I think it's because part of the reason, part of our definition of peace is actually based on storms we've been through. <laughs> and so we start defining peace by a way of avoiding previous issues in our life. And so its very definition shows that it can't withstand the storms that life gives us. And this promise that God makes that he is our prince of peace, that he will secure a peace for us, is so appealing and so attractive because all of us want to be at peace. And all of us want to live at peace. And yet for many of us as believers, this is something that we still have to pray into all the time because we feel like we're not at peace. And so I really hope that this morning as we look at the prophecy that Isaiah gave, as we look at the promise that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, we will come to see that peace is about the position that we have before God. More than anything else, your position before his throne is what will secure your peace and, and define it for you. And we're going to speak about what being a Prince of Peace means and how we choose Jesus' peace so that we can get to that place of saying, I feel at peace with God and with the world because Jesus is my peace. Amen. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that 
you have promised us peace. And that this isn't a minor theme of Scripture, that over and over again, you have spoken about the peace that you have won for your people. That in fact, you are even called Jehovah Shalom, God who is peace. And I pray that this morning you would do what only you can do, Lord, that you would bring our hearts to a place of new revelation, where we trust in you again, where we hope in you again, that we open our hearts up to receive the word that you are bringing this morning, Lord. I pray that we would stay in a place of gazing upon you, Lord God, and not looking at the storms around us instead of looking at you, Jesus. I pray that you would speak to us this morning, Holy Spirit, and that you would convict us and draw us nearer to you so that we can dwell in the plan that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's read this prophecy together. Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is one of the most beautiful and profound prophecies about the Messiah that was to come. And it's sort of a landmark of the prophet Isaiah that he prophesied about the Messiah. But what stands out to me from this um, prophecy is just the authority of the child that is being born, right? Over and over again, it speaks about the son having government on his shoulders, being called mighty God, everlasting father. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And Isaiah was trying to set us up right from the beginning to receive the birth of Jesus as the coming of an authoritative, powerful king. And if we see the birth of Jesus as sort of the birth of this baby in a manger who is holy but helpless, then we'll miss what actually happened on that day. And the same applies if we see Jesus as a really great religious leader that was relevant to a people 2,000 years ago and their problems 2,000 years ago. It's the same thing because then we're saying his government stopped increasing at some point. It no longer applies to me and to my situation. And so the, the prophecy for me immediately challenges how we receive Jesus from birth to death and up until the present time because this says his government and his peace will continue to increase for all time. And so his authority and his governance should be reflected in your life this very day. Thank you. So of all these descriptions of Jesus in this passage, you know, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. To me, the phrase prince of peace is the one where there's the um, almost the most question, like, what does it actually mean? Does he preside over peace? You know, is he going to bring peace in every situation? Because it doesn't always look like that. And if he is already authoritative and his government is constantly increasing, then where is the peace that he is meant to be prince over? So I want us to break down a little bit this phrase, Prince of Peace, to try and see all that Isaiah was saying to us through this prophecy. So we're going to look at these two parts of this phrase. The first is prince. The, the term prince in Hebrew is tsar, and it's basically the same as we understand a prince in English, the one of highest command and authority. And in a group, that person is the highest in charge, right? That he has 
all authority. And Jesus knew that he had all authority. When he was here, the things that he said showed that he was standing in all the authority that God had given him. Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. John 17, when he prayed, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. Colossians 1, about Jesus. For by him all things were created, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. You see, Jesus has all authority. There is no thing on earth, uh, above earth, below earth, that can come close to the authority that Jesus Christ has. There is no angel or demon. There is no sickness. There is no economy. There is nothing that can come close to the power and the authority that Jesus has. And he will hold this authority forever and ever and ever and ever. And his authority is unquestioning and far supersedes any other power at work in your life. He holds all authority. And Part of the peace that we receive from him is because he is not a distant authority, but a personal authority who wants to know you and love you and invites you to know and love him. It's that concept of being close to the person who's in charge, that you feel like if you are the wife of the big boss, then you're fine, right? Like you don't have to worry about anything. That's kind of my plan in life is to be like that one day. I mean, I'm just saying. But this promise that Jesus holds all authority gives us peace because we know that he has come to be near to you in that place of saying, you know what? I am it. Come and walk with me. Don't stay in a place where you have to worry about which authority is governing your life. Come and be one of my children, right? And walk with me in that place. And so the fact that he holds all authority, just that gives us a sense of peace. Um, but peace, or, or sorry, authority in this case, if we... It reminds me a little bit of the ocean, right? I love the ocean. I am like a beach girl through and through. I've been to two separate oceans this month already. Well, technically the same ocean, but separate beaches. It feels like separate oceans. Um, and, you know, I, I love the ocean, but it always, like, amazes my housemate, Toby, because I don't want to do all of the things that you can do in the ocean. Just because I love it doesn't mean I want to, like, go diving and stuff like that because I'm a little bit afraid of the ocean. Like, it is a really powerful thing. And you, you know, have a house by it, and then spring tides come, bye-bye house, you know, and you go diving, and then you go under, and then you come up, boat's gone, you're going to die because the sea is huge and massive, and you can get lost there. And I've seen Titanic and The Life of Pi and enough <laughs> movies to know that I should be afraid of the ocean. So I'll swim where I can stand, and that's me in the ocean, right? But the power of the ocean, like, if you think about it from a, a sailing perspective or things like that, I mean, it's really the waves that wreck a lot of damage and then the coral and stuff underneath it. But the waves are not caused just, like, on their own. It's these invisible forces that cause waves. It's the current that moves through the water, you know, underneath. It moves the water when it hits with the land, and then it causes waves. It's the gravitational pull between the earth and the moon that affects waves. It's the invisible forces that cause the visible powers of the sea. And Jesus' authority 
is a lot like that. That we see all of the waves around us, right? We see these powers coming at us, but his authority is the invisible force that moves through all people in all time to bring about God's kingdom in every situation. And there is nothing that is gonna stop that. And he is at work in every situation saying, I will do it for your good because I love you and I am calling you to a purpose. And when, when we see the waves, we have to remember that it is not the waves that are the authority, but it is the current of Jesus Christ that is the authority that rules. And in fact, the coming of a king is probably going to cause waves. That the very nature of his presence saying, I am going to dominate over all of the other things in your life, things are going to go like haywire, right? And stuff is going to be affected because Jesus is invading your life. And then when you see those waves and you start praying, Jesus, where are you? What's happening? You need to remember that his authority is far, far, far greater than any wave that can come in your life. And that is what we rest in. When we say we will abide and rest in you, Jesus, we are remembering that his power is greater, and it is greater than anything else. And we don't look to the temporary things of the world to secure our peace. We look to the eternal things of the kingdom to secure our peace. So peace is about the position that you have before the throne of God because you can't say that you are secure in his authority if you are not close to his authority. If you are at enmity with God, then you should be afraid of his authority. But being close to God, having received him as Lord and Savior, having put yourself in a position where you are a son or a daughter before his throne is what secures your peace. I was supposed to show you the picture of the sea to talk about the sea, so there it is. The second part of the phrase is peace. And the word peace is a very famous Hebrew word, shalom. It means completeness. And soundness, it's the same word that Gideon gave to God and when he named him Jehovah Shalom, God of peace in Judges 6. And completeness, if Jesus is the prince of completeness, then he must have completed something, right? And really that goes back to the original plan that God has for mankind, that God created us to dwell with God in a place of closeness where there was complete freedom, where there was no shame, where there was no brokenness. And that was God's original plan. And what we did was that we decided to do our own plan and be our own judges of good and evil and defining what that is. And so we missed the mark of God's original plan. That's what sin means, to miss the mark of what God had planned. And that sin and that brokenness separated us from God. And although God had try to restore mankind to that plan by saying, if you are one with me, then, then that's what it means, right? To be one with me is that place of freedom where there is no shame, where there is no brokenness, where there is no grief. But being one with me, you need to be like me. And so here is the law and how you can live like me. And even that we missed the mark of. And even that we couldn't live up to. And so what Jesus did was that he gave us opportunity to be reborn into a new nature that is like God. So that we don't have to do things to perform to be like God, but that we are changed into his nature. And he did that by taking upon himself the consequences of the separation of God and man and then conquering that by, raising, by being raised from the dead and coming with new life. And so what he did in bringing peace is that he completed the picture 
that God had for mankind, the completeness that we could be one with God, like him living in a space of freedom and peace and wholeness where there is no shame and there is no brokenness. And that's why it says in Romans 5, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The position that Jesus gives us to be born again is what makes us like God and puts us in a space where there is no longer enmity between God and mankind, where you are no longer separated from God and feeling the consequences of that sin and that separation. Of course, you can continue to sin and choose to sin and continue to reap that lack of peace. I don't know what you call a lack of peace. That lack of peace in your life by the choice to continue to sin. And actually this theme of righteousness and peace going together is consistent throughout Scripture, and we see it over and over again, and we're just going to look at some of those. Isaiah 32, and the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. Psalm 85, steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Romans 14, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Over and over again, God speaks about the fact that righteousness, doing things according to his plan, leads to peace. And where there is a lack of peace in our lives, we should question, is there a lack of righteousness in our lives? Are there ways that we are missing the mark and doing things in the way that we think is right, as opposed to the way that God has ordained for us to do things. Because righteousness leads to peace. Um, That position of righteousness, it's... You know, I feel like we can can consider our righteousness um, and and our peace from a space of condemnation, right? Of saying, I need to keep doing this, I need to get this right, I need to do this. But that is not a space of trusting in the rebirth that Jesus has given us. That when we consider if there is a lack of righteousness in our lives, it should be from the place of saying, Jesus, I need your grace to be able to do this over and over again because I don't want to do this without you. Even trying to be like you, I want to do with you. Because the whole point of God putting us in the space of righteousness is that we can be in relationship with him. And if we try and find righteousness on our own and outside of relationship, then we won't have peace. We'll continue to feel the striving of faith that that takes us away from God and into self-righteousness and self-reliance. But this is what I feel that God is saying to us, is that he has rooted us in him. And we need to trust the fact that we have been rooted in Jesus Christ. And no matter what happens in 2019, 2020, 2021, you you will not be uprooted from your position in Jesus Christ because his plan for you is firm and his will for you is never going to change. And no matter what storms of life may come, he is certain about what he is going to do. And you, you don't have to fear Things in life uprooting you from your position before him as a child of God because he has already done everything that needs to be done for you to be in that place. And so I want to encourage you to consider your righteousness from the position of a child of God as opposed to trying to earn being a child of God. In Psalms 33, it speaks um, a lot about the, the fact that God's plans will stand firm. He is the one who has measured out the waters in the hollow of his hand and, and, and stretched out the starry hosts. And then it says, 
give us faith as we will continue to hope in you. And I pray that over you this morning, that no matter how this year has been, that you will continue to hope in him, that you will not let things in life detract from the peace that you have because of your position as God's child. Amen. So peace, the fact that it's um, shalom, God has restored us to his plan. Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he has given us a position of righteousness. But even more than that, Ephesians 2, it says, He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And this scripture is speaking about the difference between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews were the people that God had tried to um, originally make one with him, the chosen people given the law. And the Gentiles are everybody else, basically. If you're not Jewish, then you're a Gentile. And the scripture is saying that it's not only the Jews who have access to God's peace and righteousness. All of mankind does because of the fact that Jesus created a level playing field for everybody to receive new life. And so there is no longer any division between man, within man, that can outweigh the unity that we have within God. That when we are adopted into God's family and receive his new life, then that oneness should bring us together far more than any socioeconomic, racial, gender division that can separate us. And being in Jesus Christ should give us a position that we can be united with other people and so be at peace with other people. And so Jesus is the Prince of Peace, not just because he made us at peace with God, but also gives us opportunity to be at peace with one another because there is no longer any division between mankind. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful thing? And that is why Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he has done everything to secure peace. But there is this phrase that Jesus used in his ministry where he says, I have not come to bring peace. And so I felt like we couldn't speak about Jesus being the Prince of Peace without talking about this because that's just bad theology. So let's take a look at what he meant when he said this, Matthew 10. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The context of the scripture is really important. The end of Matthew 9, Jesus is speaking about a group of people, and he says that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and he implores his disciples to pray that they would that they would go in to this group of people and reach them for the kingdom of heaven, that they would not be without a shepherd any longer. And then Matthew 10, he sends them to go and do that. He tells them to proclaim the kingdom of God, and he sends them to do ministry, and he starts warning them about the persecution that they will face for the ministry that they will do and the message that they will preach. And in that context, he says, 
Do not think I have come to bring peace, but a sword, because your own family will turn against you for the message that you are proclaiming. And I'm sure that you've experienced this in your own life, where as a Christian, there are things that your family don't agree with you doing, and things that you don't do, and they don't agree with you not doing, because of the fact that you are now of a different kingdom. And what Jesus is essentially saying here is, do not think I have come to bring peace such that you will be at peace with every person all the time, because you won't. Being a part of my kingdom means that you are a part of the war that I have waged on sin and brokenness and death. And so you will essentially be at enmity with all of the world when you are part of my kingdom, because I am waging a war and I am winning the war against brokenness, sin, and destruction. And so being in Jesus' kingdom means that you will experience that war that is being fought and being won by him until he returns. So you will be at enmity with the world. And that is so often when we're praying for peace, what we're asking for. God, can I not have any issues with any person ever? And really what it is is that we have a definition of peace that's not Jesus' definition of peace. You see, Jesus has moved the division between you and God so that there is no longer any division. But that division moved from being within you to being around you. So that you, when you are of the kingdom, are no longer one with the world. And so although Jesus removed every division between mankind, there is one division that he didn't remove, and that is the one that he created. And that is between those who choose the narrow path to eternal life and those who choose the broad path to eternal destruction. And everyone who chooses the narrow path to eternal life will be criticized and persecuted and ridiculed by those who choose the broad path to eternal destruction. And this is, that happening is not a lack of peace. Because peace is not the world loving you. It speaks in James about the fact that when you are one with God, you will be at enmity with the world. And whoever is friends with the world is at enmity with God. And so when we receive Jesus Christ and his rebirth, we must expect that the waves will be caused by that change in our lives, in the world around us. But our peace is not based on a lack of waves. Our peace is based on the consistent authority of Jesus Christ that we know is at work to bring good in every situation. So when you are praying for peace, remember that your peace should not be um, found in how the world perceives you, but found in how Jesus receives you and what he gives you. It's kind of like a man with a well. I'll tell you. A man with a well, every time he needs water, he goes to the well and he gets water. And when he's thirsty, he goes and gets water from the well. And when he needs to clean, he goes and gets water from the well. And whatever he needs water for, he goes and gets it from the well. A man without a well has to go and find water in other places. And so he looks to different containers and different places and running. Every time he needs water, he's got to search for a new thing. Peace in God is like having a well within you, where when you need peace, you go to that well every single time. And within you flows the peace that passes all understanding because it is based on what is within you. 
But when you don't have the position of righteousness before God, you are like a scavenger who tries to find peace in your bank account and find peace in your home and find peace in your office. And you run from one situation to the next, hoping that you will find peace in all of them. But the peace that Jesus secured from you is not found in other places. It is found within you. And the place that he has put you in, in his kingdom and in his word, is such that every time there are waves in all of the places around you, you go to that which is within you. And you say, Jesus, because of who you are, and because of the place that I have before your throne, and because of the fact that I know your kingdom is coming and is never, ever going to stop, I have peace. And I ask that I will make decisions from this place of my position before your throne instead of of the place of being a scavenger and looking to the world to try and give me a sense of peace. Our peace has been won for us, not by us, but by Jesus Christ because of the fact that his love for you is so much greater than you will ever understand. And whenever we're at a space where we feel like there is not peace, right, the, the, the thing to do is to go and sit with God and wait upon him. And as a church, in a sense, and when I say church, I don't mean his people or every nation, no longer his people, every nation, I mean as a body of Christ, I feel that we have forgotten how to wait on God. And there is a, a place of peace that comes from waiting on God that nothing else will give you. And waiting on God is spending time with him and just saying, you know what, even though I I can't see something here, I am waiting because I know that I know that I know that I know that you are good, that you are faithful, and that you are present. You are not just coming in some other time to some other people. You are with me right now in this space. And so my peace is secure. And I don't let go of that peace and try and run to other things to find that peace. Because it's not based on those things. It is based on you. Um, In Matthew Henry's commentary on that passage, Matthew 10, it says this, The fear of man brings a snare, a perplexing snare that disturbs our peace, an enlarging snare by which we are brought into sin. And essentially that passage where Jesus says he has not come to bring peace is about the fact that he is saying, you know what, if you want to have the peace that I want for you, you're going to have to make difficult decisions where you choose me instead of choosing your family, where you choose to do things my way instead of doing things the world's way, where you choose to be the person who is different and made fun of for being different for the whole of your time here on earth. And choosing that and being okay with that is because of the fact that you know that, you know, these hundred years cannot compare with the eternity that I have with Jesus Christ. And I will win as much as I can win in terms of peace and righteousness and security in God because treasures in heaven do not rot. They do not disappear. And so we we have to get rid of this fear of man that we so often let define our peace or lack thereof and place our peace instead in our position in God. Romans 5, we read it earlier, but I want to read a little bit more. It says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Your peace that you will find on this earth is about this, knowing that your suffering produces endurance, and your endurance produces character, and character produces hope, which does not fail. Amen? So, in conclusion, the Prince of Peace has come into this world. He has done everything that needs to be done for you to have peace. And this morning, you get an opportunity to remind yourself again of the position that you hold before his throne and to choose to abide in that position instead of coming in and out of it, instead of running to other things and then reminding yourself, you know what, I actually need Jesus, and let me go back there. But to stay in a place where you say, you know what, I will settle myself with this, that my heart is content because Jesus has won a peace for me. And in that place before his throne, I will remember that he is a wonderful counselor, that he is a mighty God, that he is an everlasting father. And I, I, I rest my heart in there. And I want to pray for that for us. So, Father, we thank you that you are eternal. I thank you, Lord God, that your plan for the world is, has been accomplished already, Lord God, because you have done everything that needs to be done for life and godliness in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, our Prince of Peace, has won the victory. He has won the battle over everything that removes our peace, over every bit of destruction, over every bit of fear, over every bit of shame and brokenness. And I pray, Father, that wherever those things continue to linger in our lives, that we would surrender them to you, Jesus. And in the space, Lord God, wherever we have not had peace, we come before you, Lord. We choose to wait on you, Lord, to listen to your voice, to give every area where we are trusting for peace over to you, Lord God, and to say that in those areas, what we are looking to is the authority and the governance of Jesus Christ, that we know that it is because of your consistent and pervading authority, your consistent and pervading goodness that we rest and are at peace. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that right now you would begin to pour your peace within to us. That peace is a fruit of your spirit. It is something that manifests in our lives the more we dwell in your presence, the more we spend time with you, no matter how we feel, no matter how wrong things are going, when we choose to spend time in your presence, peace manifests in our lives. And in this moment, Lord God, I pray that you would speak to us about the things that we do need to change so that we would remain in your peace, Lord God. Wherever there are other things that we have been trusting in, Lord God, instead of you, show us those things, Lord. Convict our hearts, Jesus. Lord God, wherever there are things that we've given up hope in because we just thought, Nothing is going to change in that situation. I pray that you would come and pour your presence upon those things, Lord God. I pray that you would come and restore broken hearts, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would come and pour your life again into situations that we thought were dead, Lord God. 
and then our peace would be because of you, Lord. And if there is anybody here, Lord God, that does not have a position before you of being a son or a daughter, I pray that you would speak to them right now, Jesus. I pray that you would give us the bravery and the boldness to let go of things of the world and choose to cling on to the things of heaven. I don't want to miss this opportunity to pray with anybody that does feel distant from God, that does feel like they have not given had not had an opportunity to give their lives to Jesus Christ and to receive the rebirth, the new nature that he gives unto you. And if you have not made that decision before, if you made that decision a long time ago and know that you need to make it again, then I would love to pray with you. I would love to stand with you and and walk with you back into the arms of the Father. And so if that is you, would you mind raising your hand where you are so I can pray with you? Is there anybody here who would like to do that? Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that over the next few weeks, Lord God, as we celebrate you, but also as we prepare for next year, I pray that you would remind us of who you are in our lives, but of who we are in eternity because of you, Jesus. The fact that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God means that we have a position in bringing revival to this nation, to this world, that we have an opportunity to see this kingdom increasing and advancing in our lives. And I pray that we would choose to be a part of that, Lord God. I pray that we would choose to put our hands up and say, use me, Lord God. I don't want to be distracted and get caught up only in the things that the world can offer. I want to be a part of bringing your kingdom and your plans and your purposes into this nation and into this world. I pray that we would be so convinced of the coming of your kingdom and the increase of your governance that that is what we would devote our lives to, Lord God. That we would remember that the things that will last are the things of eternity. And that we would spend our time and our efforts bringing about your plans, Lord Jesus. I pray that wherever the enemy has lied to us to say that these things are of greater value, I pray that you'd expose those lies, Lord God. That you'd remove from us um, striving and fear and worry as we try and secure things of the world. That you'd remove that and remind us of the peace that you've given us as we look to the things of heaven, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen.